It's a funny thing about Jesus. He either compels you to draw near or he repels you. It's the same thing about love. Think about a person that says that they love you. You just started dating. But you don't love them. And you're repelled. Because you can only think about how can I get out of this? How can I ignore that text message? How can I ignore that phone call? How can I get out of this relationship that I do not want to be in? The thing about Jesus is that he will still be there until you can see that his love is real. And it's unlike anything else. So this morning, we're going to talk about that Jesus actually cares about how you feel. The first thing that we see in this gospel as we talk about the I Am series, I Am Jesus, in the gospel of Mark, where I left you off last time, Jesus was going across the boat, or across the lake, he was in a boat, not across the boat. Maybe he went across the boat to go lay down to take a nap, but he was going across the lake. And the storm came, disciples got scared, and they didn't know where to turn. And then they saw Jesus, woke him up, the sea was calm, the lake was calm, and they traveled on to the other side. And they asked, who is this man? Who is this man? When they get across the lake, and this is the gospel of Mark, is that it just is an awesome gospel to read because it is exciting every step. You just keep on going from one story to the next story to the next story. And so as they go across the lake, they arrive, and what they see is a crazy man. He's in chains, and he's coming out of the cave, and he looks like he'll kill anybody. So what does Jesus do? He says, let's get out of the boat. Let's go meet him. This is Jesus because he loves us. He loves the man that the, the town that the man was a part of had exiled him out and put him in chains because they didn't know what to do with him. Because he's dangerous. He was possessed. The demons were scared the moment they saw Jesus. And Jesus sent them out and they went into pigs and the pigs ran off a cliff. It's a great story. So if you haven't been reading Mark, I encourage you, we're only in chapter 6. The awesome thing about Mark, we're halfway through already. So they go off this cliff, and the townspeople, they know the power and authority of Jesus is real. And they're scared. So they send him away. They say, please leave, please leave. So they get back into the boat. Remember, the disciples had just gotten out of the boat, out of the storm. And then they saw a crazy guy that could have killed them. And now Jesus goes, let's go back in the boat. We're going to go back across. So they go back across, and as they get to the other side of the lake, people are coming from everywhere because they're hearing about this man, Jesus. And that question, who is this man, you can almost hear as an echo throughout every place that they go, who is this man? Who is he? Where is he from? What is this guy about? I think his name Jesus. Verse 21 in chapter 5, that's where we're going to be today. 
Jesus got in the boat again and went back to the other side of the lake where a large crowd gathered around him on the shore. Then a leader of the local synagogue, whose name was Jarius, arrived. When he saw Jesus, he left, he fell at his feet, pleading fervently with him. My little daughter's dying, he said. Please come and lay your hands on her. Heal her so she can live. For those of you who are fathers, especially fathers who have daughters, how many of you are fathers who have daughters? It can be a crazy household, right? I got three. And it's beautiful. I can't wait till they're all teenagers. Now, Jarius, he was a leader of the local synagogue. He was a priest. He held authority in that small little place that he was in. Everybody knew who he was. Everybody knew who his daughter was. Everyone knew his family. He was the guy who actually examined the people to decide whether they're clean or unclean. He was the one who had authority to say, you can come into God's presence or you cannot. But on this day, Jarius was so scared and frightened that he stripped the title of leader of the synagogue. He stripped the title of priest away, and all he could be on that day was daddy, seeking out some solution for his daughter who was dying. If you can imagine the the desperate plea that he had, this man of great standing who begs Jesus for his help. Remember, all the other religious leaders had scorned Jesus and said, you're possessed by demons, that's why you've got this power authority. Or, why are you healing on the Sabbath? None of the other religious authorities wanted Jesus. So you can imagine that Jerry's probably sat in some meetings, some pastor meetings, where they discussed the problem of Jesus. But Jerry said, I love my daughter. And I don't know if it's true or not, but I'm going to do whatever it takes to keep her alive. So he bends down onto the ground in front of Jesus and says, please, please help my daughter. Will you just touch my daughter? My house is a little ways away, but come with me and help her. So Jesus hears the plea of this desperate father and immediately he says, yes, and they begin to journey to this guy's house. Now, the crowd is all around him. Remember, as he got out of the boat on the other side, they were waiting for him. People who were sick, people who were possibly possessed, people who needed freedom. 
from the circumstance that they were in. They needed Jesus. There were people who were there that they just thought Jesus was awesome, and this was like a great entertainment. Because where Jesus went, great things happened. Amazing things. They just were following. They were like the, the crazy crowd that was just like, let's see what he's going to do next. But in that crowd, there was also someone else. Verse 24. Jesus went with him, and all the people followed, crowding around him. A woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding. She had suffered a great deal from many doctors, and over the years she had spent everything she had to pay them. But she had gotten no better. In fact, she had gotten worse. She had heard about Jesus, so she came up behind him through the crowd and touched his robe. For she thought to herself, if I can just touch his robe, I will be healed. So in the middle of all this chaos, there's another desperate person that emerges. Only she's exactly opposite from the first person. See, she's one that it's very possible that Jerry has said, you're unclean. You're unable to come back into the synagogue until you're clean. Because we know that from the Old Testament laws that if you were bleeding, and this was probably menstrual bleeding, you were to go outside of the camp, you were to go outside of the people and not return until you were clean. So this woman had not been touched by anyone. Because if you touched her, you would become unclean. 12 years, not 12 months, not 12 days, 12 years of people when you would walk by would go, and I think it's interesting that the two characters of this story is the one who determines whether you're clean and then one who is unclean. And they find themselves meeting the same person named Jesus. She thinks, he's his, she thinks that Jesus is her only hope. And it kind of reminds me of just the meanness of human nature. Now, this might be, a, this may be just about Nebraska, so hold with me. But when I was growing up, we had this saying that when we're being mean to people, we'd say they had cooties. Does anyone ever do that? Okay, just want to make sure that you... So if... And sometimes it was girls, right? So if there's a group of us boys together, there's a girl there, we go, you got cooties? And we would, we'd all go around and then... Or if someone we determined had cooties and they drank from the water faucet, then no one would drink from the water faucet because of this weird thing called cooties. And I kind of, as I was thinking about this woman, that's really what she had. She had cooties. No one wanted to touch her. Everyone had determined that she could not be touched. And I imagined her kind of in the back of the crowd because she had to determine, was she willing to sacrifice having people go, don't touch me, get away from me, 
you have cooties. So she was traveling from the back of the crowd, but then she decided that her desperate plea for help had to be heard by Jesus. So she just starts walking faster to get closer to Jesus. And I kind of see the crowd, when they recognize that this unclean woman with cooties has come up to them, it's like they go like this. And the crowd starts to separate as she moves towards Jesus because they're scared of this unclean person who can make them unclean themselves. And she reaches out and grabs on to Jesus' robe, hoping that she'd be healed. I don't know how it actually happened. Maybe she just pushed through people and they didn't even notice because they're so excited about Jesus. But that's kind of how I imagined it happening. That she had to push through her fear that people would once again say that she wasn't worth it or that she was too dirty or she was unable to be in the presence of God. And she had to push through that so that she could meet Jesus. But either way, she did. Verse 29, immediately, immediately, the bleeding stopped. And she could feel in her body that she had been healed of her terrible condition. Jesus realized at once that healing power had gone out from him. So he turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my robe? His disciples said to him, look at this crowd pressing around you. How can you ask who touched me? But he kept on looking around to see who had done it. Then the frightened woman, trembling at the realization of what had happened to her, came and fell to her knees in front of him and told him what she had done. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Your suffering is over. That very moment, she could feel something had happened in her body. It wasn't just that she knew it. She could feel it. She had been healed. It wasn't just that Jesus knew that he had healed her. Omniscient that he is. But he could feel it. He could feel that he healed somebody. The disciples respond in a very snarky way because they're just on the mission to get to Jairus' house. But Jesus looks as a woman kneels down and confesses what she has done and his response to her is, daughter, in that moment, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace, your suffering is over. His response reminds her, actually declares her as part of the family that day. This is the Son of God who then responds to this lady who's unnamed. The only name that we know is she was unclean, that she was bleeding. And he says, daughter. 
She's no longer the unclean lady. She's now a daughter. Someone that is known. She's healed. I wonder if we sometimes can have the same faith as this woman who bled. Perhaps we're in a circumstance where we do need Jesus. We need the touch of Him. Do we believe that when the God of the universe touches you, there's a possible transformation that's going to occur? Do you believe that in baptism that the Holy Spirit actually does do something? Or is it just something we do? Do you believe that in baptism He actually calls you son or daughter? Do you believe that in faith He forgives you? That God, that Jesus really wants to be with you forever? Hopefully, that's why you're here. Because we have something to celebrate if we believe in a God who actually cares about how you feel, who actually cares about the circumstances that you're in, who actually cares to touch you. See, our faith should not just be based on reason alone. Now, stick with me, especially you longtime Lutherans. But in our Western world, that's what we've done. We have segmented our faith completely into our head. We know that baptism is supposed to declare us as a son or daughter of God. But when we try to remember our baptism, we don't always return to that identity. We know that the Lord's Supper that Jesus is supposed to be truly present, that as we take his body and drink his blood, he is in us. He forgives us. He loves us. And he touches us. But sometimes in our mind, we just separate it out. We know that he's supposed to love us, but see, love is more than just here. Love has to go here. And I think sometimes in our Western world, we make a little wall right here, and we don't want to be touched here. Because when we are touched here, we're broken. We become fearful. What if the Lord of the universe would touch me here? What would that mean for tomorrow? For the woman, she knew, she knew in her mind that Jesus could do great things. And then she felt him heal her. 
it wasn't just about what she knew, it was also about what she felt. I wonder on this question, how many times have we missed Jesus touching our hearts? Because we explained it away with our reason. I'm going to tell you, watching the story, I had to go back and I had to, you're going to, some of you are going to be like, we don't believe you, you're just putting this into the sermon. But honestly, I had to go back and I had to go find a Kleenex because I was, I love that the Lord has touched a family. And for a moment I sat there and I thought, what an incredible gift to be a part of a community that touched a family. A family that was far away from God but now is close. That knows, not not just knows, but feels His presence in their life. How awesome is that? And I know their story is not alone. I wonder how many times we've missed it. Because we put reason above everything else. Verse 35. While he was still speaking to her, messengers arrived from the home of Jairus, the leader of the synagogue. They told him, your daughter is dead. There's no use troubling the teacher now. Just jumping back in the story. She's just confessed to Jesus, and Jesus has told her, you're my daughter, and I love you. You can go now fully healed and restored. The crowd has looked at what has happened, and they are just, it's like, because they know something's happened. She's not the same woman as she was before. So I see the crowd just frozen in time. And then you hear these footsteps coming, and these messengers are not messengers bringing hope. They're messengers coming to end hope. They're messengers coming to the Father saying, what you have done is too late. Jesus can't help her now. So you might as well lose your hope. And the man, as a father, you can see his face change. And we've seen that before, right? You've seen people go through something hard and difficult, and then they get a measure, just a little measure of good news, and their face changes because they think, maybe this is it. Maybe hope is coming. And I see the father do this when he asks Jesus, and Jesus says, yes, I'll come with you. His face changes, and he's like, we're on a mission to save my daughter, and I've got Jesus. And then in the moment that the messengers arrive, you can see his face start to lose hope. His daughter's dead. Maybe Jesus can't help. But Jesus overheard them, verse 36. 
because he cares about how we feel. And he cared about how Jerry has felt at that moment. This is our Lord. He doesn't just let you sit there and deal with something on your own. He speaks into it. And he saw Jarius losing everything because his daughter's dead. And he says, don't be afraid. Just have faith. I recognize that for some of us in the moment of bad circumstance, these words may not bring hope. In fact, I can imagine a few of you going through a bad circumstance, and if I said, don't be afraid, just have faith, you would smack me. But there's a lesson in this because Jesus is saying, I'm still with you. He says the same thing to the disciples on the boat when the storm is going. Don't be afraid. The only reason why we don't fear is because Jesus is by our side. And the reason why as a church we can move forward through anything without fear is because Jesus has promised us to be by our side. Then Jesus, verse 37, stopped the crowd. So he just told the crowd, you're not going with me. And wouldn't let anyone go with him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw much commotion and weeping and wailing, and he went inside and asked, why all this commotion and weeping? The child isn't dead. She's only asleep. The crowd laughed at him. But he made them all leave, and he took the girl's father and mother and his three disciples into the room where the girl was lying. The authority of Jesus is incredible. He says something, and people just do it. I mean, the crowd, these are professional whalers. This is what they would do historically. And this is a prominent figure in the community, so... By all means, they had the best show in town going on right now. These people were coming in and they were just wailing. I don't know how what wailing totally looks like. I'm not sure if I could actually reproduce that, so I'm not going to try. But they were produ- they, that's what they were doing, and it was chaotic around this house, in the house. And Jesus approaches them, and you can tell that the wailing isn't totally authentic because rather than turning to him and going no she's really dead and the wailing continues they about face and they start to laugh complete unbelief of what Jesus is going to do what I love about this part is that Jesus approaches the house and through all the professional wailers that he has to walk through, what I imagine him seeing is a mother and Jairus' wife just sitting at the door of the house with the face of a mom who just lost her daughter. I've only had to do that a couple times in my life. And there is no other sight that is 
worse to see than a mom who has lost their child? And just waiting for her husband to return home. This is what Jesus approaches. This is what Jesus sees. And in the middle of it, people are laughing at him. There's every reason in the world for him just to say, yes, she's dead. I'm not needed. And to walk away. Because when we have to deal with approval, it's an easy temptation for us just to walk away. I bet you've had to do that before in your life, where people were laughing at you by the choice that you made, but you felt convicted that you had to continue. A crowd of people who are laughing at you, or a crowd of people who think you are stupid, or a crowd of people who are just simply not for you. But what we see from Jesus is that that doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if there were some friends in that crowd of Jesus that were the ones laughing. It doesn't matter if it was his own family that was laughing at him. We'll see that through the book of Mark. Because he's already experienced that, but he stays on mission. Because Jesus isn't swayed by approval. He is there to bring hope. He is here today to bring us hope. He is there to raise the dead. He is there because he is operating as God's son and bringing the kingdom to those who need it. In that moment, he sees a very humble and sad Jairus, a mourning mother, and a dead daughter. And he has a feeling that he should help and bring compassion to this family. So those who rejected him were rejected by Jesus himself. And they were told to leave. They were about to miss the most incredible miracle to this date that Jesus would perform. Verse 41, holding the hand of the dead daughter, he said to her, Talithia kum, which means little girl, get up. And the, and the little girl who was 12 years old immediately stood up and walked around. They were overwhelmed and totally amazed. Jesus gave them strict orders not to tell anyone what had happened. And then he told them to give her something to eat. In this account from Mark, we learn that we should turn to no one else but Jesus in our desperation. It doesn't matter what standing you have in society. It doesn't matter how people view you. We should turn to Jesus because he actually cares how we feel. See, Jesus wants to restore us. So perhaps you have something in your life right now where you need the breath of God to breathe life into an area of your life that needs restored. That's what Jesus does. 
That's what Jesus does. That's what Jesus does. He brings life to us. Last week I talked about an area where could be dead in your heart. Well, Jesus brings life to that area. Jesus can bring life to you. Jesus wants to bring hope. He wants to approach you when you're on that doorstep and you think everything has been lost. He wants to tell you it will not be lost because I'm going to restore it and you'll have hope again. So it doesn't matter what situation or condition you're experiencing today or a family member who's experiencing a condition that seems outside of hope, Jesus brings hope, healing. He brings salvation. See, he does this for us, and he, the thing that I love, this is very oikos, is he says, Peter, James, and John, come with me because I'm going to show you something incredible. I mean, Peter, James, and John, they probably had no idea what was going to happen. And they got to see the resurrection of the dead firsthand. Later, in the book of Acts, we see them encounter something similar, Peter, specifically. Chapter 9, verse 36. Peter was traveling to Joppa. So there is a believer in Joppa named Tabitha, which in Greek is Dorcas. She was always doing kind things for others and helping the poor. About this time, she became ill and died. Her body was washed for burial and laid in an upstairs room. But the believers had heard that Peter was nearby at Lydda. So they sent two men to beg him. Do you see the correlation? Please come as soon as possible. So Peter returned with them, and as soon as he arrived, they took him to the upstairs room. The room was filled with widows who were weeping and showing him the coats and other clothes Dorcas had made for them. But Peter asked them all to leave the room. Then he knelt and he prayed. Turning to the body, he said, Get up, or Talithia, come. And she opened up her eyes. When she saw Peter, she sat up. He gave her his hand and helped her up. Then he called in the widows and all the believers, and he presented her to them alive. The news spread through the whole town, and many believed in the Lord. And Peter stayed a long time in Joppa, living with Simon, the tanner of hides. I wonder what Peter was thinking in that moment that he prayed. Did he have a flashback to the time that he was in the room with Jesus, and Jesus said, Talithia kum. And he said, Lord... I believe this is what you want me to say. So I'm going to follow exactly what you do. I'm going to send everybody out of the room. I'm going to do exactly what you showed me so that I can give life to this situation of darkness, so that I can bring restoration to this family who is broken, so that I can show them the kingdom of God, so that they can feel your presence. I wonder what our lives would look like if we allowed Jesus to touch our hearts. I wonder what our lives would look like if when he touched our heart, we would share that testimony. I wonder what our lives would look like if we 
not only allowed him to touch our hearts, but share the testimony, and then we would show others how to do the same. What if we actually believe that Jesus lived in our heart? Because he had touched us with the waters of baptism and called us his sons and daughters. What if we actually believed that the power of the kingdom of heaven flows through us to bring hope to the nations? What if we believe that God actually thinks we're important for the future of his kingdom? What would we do? Lord, we ask that we'd set aside our Western world thinking that everything is about what we think and reason it to be. That we would set aside that the only hope for us is someone who's smarter than us or better trained than us. And instead, we'd rest our hope in you. Lord, I pray that we would set aside the idea that You've saved us, but we have no part in the salvation of anybody else. That we don't represent your kingdom. That it doesn't matter how we live our lives. That it doesn't matter whether we show Jesus to the people that you've put in our presence. that it doesn't matter if you touch our heart. Lord, I pray that you would open up our hearts today. Allow us to be touched by you. Allow us to experience you, to feel you. Faith is not just about feeling, but it's both and. It's knowing, believing, and feeling your presence because you are alive and active. So I pray today that as a community, as a church, that we would believe that you are alive and active. That as you brought hope to the family of Jarius, as Peter brought hope to the family in Joppa, that you did not say to just stop bringing hope, but you were asking us to bring hope to people. So may we become your messengers. And as you call all your messengers to be sent out, may we raise our hands. And not just do so because we believe in our head that we should, but that we believe in our heart and our head and all of us, in all of us, through all of us, that you have called us and named us and declared us be your family. For that reason, we can bring hope to others. In your name we pray. Amen. At this time, we get to celebrate the Lord's Supper as a family. We do this with a few stations throughout this worship center. 
If you believe that Jesus is truly present in with and under the bread and the wine, that his body and his blood are there, that forgiveness is real in Jesus, and you are a baptized Christian, we invite you to participate. If you are unsure about this, that's all right. Talk to one of the families who are distributing the elements, the body and the blood. Talk to one of us afterwards. If you believe that he's truly present and you're baptized, we will go ahead and commune you then. If you go, I'm not baptized, but I'd like to be, we can baptize you right here because there's no certain process that you have to follow to be baptized beyond saying, I believe in Jesus and I want to be baptized. So if you are not baptized, we would really want you to experience and feel the Holy Spirit in your life, declaring you a son or daughter, declaring you as part of the family. In the Lord's Supper, we believe that Jesus is there. So you will be touched by Jesus. And I think it is an awesome sacrament that he left for us, that we get to participate in a regular rhythm where he says, I will not only touch you, but I'll be in you. And this is for you to remember of who you are in me.